Hello and welcome back to The Sizzle. Today I'm talking to Karen Treisman, who is a clinical psychologist and author and producer, artist, slash creator of amazing toolkits and resources which I use in my own psychological practice. Um, she has created these resources based upon or influenced by characters and focusing on really important aspects of how to help people. So thinking about confidence and sleep. She's also an expert in trauma-informed practice and she regularly does events and, and training for huge companies. And she came to talk to me after doing one such event with hundreds of people and she had a sore throat and we still managed to have a really amazing conversation. So here we go. So hi, Karen. Hey, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to paint the scene for people listening. We're at 90 York Way. It's a really massive building and it's a really big auditorium foyer. Mm -hmm. And so we've come down the escalators to a slightly less cavernous <laughs> space. <laughs> and um, Karen, you've had a big day speaking to thousands of people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're hoping your voice is going to exactly. hold out. Come down with the lurgy, but mm. we're all good. We've got the mint tea and hopefully well, the voice will stay with us. <laughs> mm. So I suppose I really want to chat to you just because I feel like you're using psychology in a really interesting way. Yeah, and I, I would like to hear more about that. But I also feel like, I, you know, I, I basically on the way here was thinking what... Mm how did I get into psychology what I think cool, is cool about psychology and I was just curious to know from your mm. point of view how you got into it mm. I don't know if you have I ha I mean I'm projecting here mm. but I have a really defined memory of exactly why I'm in psychology oh yeah yeah now I want to ask you about that but then I'm aware you've probably said it <laughs> no, uh, uh, no I've never said mm. it before um, mm. so it's not yeah, this is not a psychology podcast, mm. so it's just, yeah, yeah, it's never come up. Um, it was A-level mm. psychology, and just the, the, it was the description of, of the, the ego and the superego, mm. and it just, to me, really resonated, because I was like, yeah, I have felt yeah. different driving forces, from you know, here, yeah. and I just thought, that is amazing. Mm. And just from there, I was like, this is, this is something I want to do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, may, maybe I kind of look at all psychologists and assume they must have had oh, yeah. such a moment. Well, no, I, I, I think we do. I think we, none of us fall into the work. We all go on it for a reason, don't we, in a journey. I'm not sure I could think of, like, one defining moment. Mm. Um, but there's certainly, I think I was always someone who liked to be creative and was really interested in human rights and had spent time in lots of different countries and so was very exposed to, you know, adversity and people who were living with HIV and genocide and so I think and apartheid in South Africa so I think I always had that real social justice lens mm. um, my mum had MS and was sort of progressing to be mm. quite disabled and so I think I was always there also in that role um, 
And then, yeah, similarly to you, I had lots of experiences where, like, for example, when I was 15, I did work experience in an older adult home for people with dementia. Um, and I just absolutely loved it and I thought I can't think of anything better than spending my life being a therapist it was very much about wanting to be with people um, and then I went and worked in like a residential home with kids who experienced lots of difficulties and just I used to love and look forward to going to work every mm. single day um, and yeah and I suppose that sort of progressed but you know I had grandparents who, who were impacted and involved in Auschwitz and the Holocaust and so lots of those intergenerational stories so yeah there was lots of reasons but I think for me psychology fit everything that I loved it mm. combined people it combined social justice it combined creativity and the arts um, it combined variety travel um, being curious so I think for me I just found my niche and it almost all the boxes got ticked yeah. and yeah. Um, I only actually really really loved it during the doctorate I didn't particularly enjoy my degree or A-levels but the doctorate I was like this is the best thing mm. ever <laughs> you know I think you've mm. actually articulated my experience better than I had previously thought about mm. it but it, yeah it ticks all the boxes yeah. I also think yeah I, do you know what A-levels that's when I first thought huh this is mm. really really cool but it it did feel quite like to, to like I need to learn this content yeah and the degree there were there were modules that I thought were cool yeah interesting but I left uni and went into education mm. and actually came back around to psychology yeah, and the doctorate was I mean and you'd hope most would be but it was yeah. an inspiring mm. kind of nourishing thing yeah um, and hearing you talk about your kind of influences mm. this empathy seems to be a real yeah. theme amongst that in Huge. terms of the social context you're in the family context you're in yeah and and that, again, you know, you'd kind of hope that a psychologist would have that I'd hope, quality. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, yeah it, it seemed to kind of jump out at me that yeah. that was a theme that... It really was, yeah. I think empathy was a huge theme. I also had a mum who, who was a teacher who was very into child development and emotional regulation and mindfulness and so I think I was very much sort of marinated mm. in that way of being I almost feel it's just part of my fabric and I just found a niche to sort of outlet it so yeah, a conduit yeah. yeah completely and I actually always thought I wanted to work with adults always um, so people thought it was very surprising when I ended up working with children but again it was just that creativity to use puppets and drama and mask it just all came together so um, yeah I love it I literally I always say if I won the lottery I'd do exactly the same just less hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah more, more resources yeah um, yeah so I've mentioned your resources uh, for those of you who don't know Karen I mean prolific is a big word but I feel like I feel like I came across you on social media what like a couple of months ago and since then I've just seen your books everywhere you know classic kind of uh, bias bias to perception um, yeah it's it's really cool the range of the range of stuff that you've put out thank you um, and I yeah I mean there, there's stuff around working with trauma that, that we could talk about there's yeah. stuff about sleep that we could talk about yeah. there's, there's so much um, but I suppose I'm interested in how how you kind of 
realised that you could make these wonderful resources. Like, yeah. when did that occur to you? Yeah, it's, it's a funny story. So I suppose just first to say, um, I really don't didn't enjoy writing. I used to struggle to even write an essay. Um, I wasn't particularly good at school. I was quite a tricky student. Um, so, what does that look like? So... I suppose if you think about your typical adolescent, I would have been that and beyond. Um, but I guess when you've got your niche, so how the books came about, they've all come about differently. But the first one was I went to America to talk at a conference, which my work at the time would not fund. And so I put my own money to go and talk to this conference and I got approached after that we really liked what you were talking about would you put it in a book and I was like absolutely Hell. not oh really yeah, no right. I was like absolutely not I, I can't write I'm a therapist I'm a practitioner I'm not an academic no I don't want to and and they continued to approach and eventually mm. everyone was like what are you doing um, so I wrote that first book um, and actually loved the process but it was quite an academic book and uh, then I started doing loads of stuff on Twitter and loads of events that was really creative and like really practical and using loads of art and clay and all sorts and my other publisher Jessica Kingsley came to me and were like would you be interested in writing a second book and I was like to be honest the only book I want to do is really the book I wished that I had in the beginning when I qualified A4 full of photos art photocopyable resources like really like a toolkit they were like okay do it You're, we can, you can do whatever you want to do and Real. so that was how the therapeutic treasure box came mm. I've I made every piece of art myself really so it was like literally four, over 400 pieces of art because mm. I didn't feel I should put any children's actual art so I recreated everything That's, I assumed they were from cases yeah no so you just you weren't just writing you were painting I did all the art because yeah. I didn't feel even though I had informed consent I just didn't I feel they're children and it's precious and I didn't want to put that in there mm. so I recreated using bits yeah. each one um, and then after that that did really well and so I thought you know what what do I use most as a therapist I use cards I'm going to start creating some cards mm. and then I thought, what do people come to me most to talk about? It's sleep difficulties, it's self-esteem. I spent so long sitting with social workers saying, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Foster carers, have you? And I thought, you know what? Just make the resources. And I wanted them to be really culturally sensitive, really like fun. I wanted them to be really reasonably priced, really colourful. And so that's the latest yeah. series, um, which has been amazing. It's a dream come true. And, and to design toys to go with them, and it's just super super cool I feel yeah. very lucky yeah I mean I when I saw the book about sleep was coming out I was really happy because it comes yeah. up so much completely it comes up yeah. so much and I was kind of I basically was like we need to get this yeah and um yeah, I love I love the sections and the way that you kind of you go right back to you know well what is sleep and you know what do we think dreams might be about and just kind of helping parents unpick that because it's yeah. it's something we do so much and actually yeah. you know people don't often think about it. No, they really do, and making it in like I think what we often do is 
we're not very playful in our approach so we might say to a child oh what are you worried about but it's actually finding that way of how do we get them to draw it or sculpt it or have fun worksheets so that you're having like a fun enjoyable experience and you're giving stuff to make the therapist or the parent or carer feel more confident and I think that come and I wanted really tangible things right have you could you do a duvet and decorate it or special pillows and have you thought about the lighting and so a mix of sort of fun activities but also things that people can just take home and, and try and put into place really yeah, yeah. do you have a favorite one of your uh feelings cards or sentence completion cards oh yeah i love um there's a one with lots of different snails that says the thing that makes yeah. me unique is yeah. that's probably my favorite one um i love that and it's really nice what people come up with um the other one is that I really like that I use a lot is if you could travel back in a time machine uh, to your best self, your best me, or your best moment. What would mm. it be? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen. I don't remember that one. The the what makes me unique one is. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful card. Oh, thank you. Um, I think my favourite picture. There's there's one. Uh, where do, where do I feel safe? And it's a, yeah. a swan and a signet. Oh, isn't that so cute? Bless that. I know. Bless that illustration. <laughs> um, but the what makes me unique mm. card generates such interesting, so much interesting conversations with. Also, you know what? Yeah, when I got those cards initially, I was a bit hesitant to use them yeah. with older children, and I and I don't know what that was about. But I think I it took me a while. And they they love them, and something yeah. I started doing is, is spreading them out almost like a almost like a pick a card any card yes, face completely. down, and so they take it and it's it's a surprise, and yeah. then depending on how they react to the card, we you know Let's might see. talk about it or not, and yeah. it's a yeah it's a surprisingly simple but really interesting way of talking yeah and getting people's core beliefs you know there's the i am people are the world is or getting to know people but it's been you know it's funny you say that because obviously i designed them with children in mind but actually i took them into prisons they love them i've taken them into schools and used them with teachers in team meetings Mm. i've used them in supervision um so that wasn't my intention but yeah Mm. there's so many different and they do just seem to and you can make them into you know a game of twister a game of pictionary charades um i've got one therapist who's decorated her entire room with them so all the cards are just on the walls and people can go up and Mm. point or pick and she's put fairy lights all around them and that's lovely yeah there's just so many cool things you can do so I mean alright I'm getting them out oh yeah I was going to say I've actually got a pack in my bag as well (laughs) I mean I think psychologists just have big bags so I'm kind of going through my Kindle is it the sentence completion ones you have or the grounding ones you have in your bag not grounding uh, sentence completion have you seen the grounding ones? One of my colleagues has them, but I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't looked through. No, no, sadly, I don't have a pack of those. Otherwise, I'd show you. There they are. There they are. Hello, my little Hi. babies. And, and safe is on the front. I know it is. It took me ages to, to think of the name of a baby swan, but I got Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure I knew it was a signal. I, I hope it's now, a signal. Now that you said it, it rings a bell, <laughs> but that probably would have taken a while. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna put some of these face down oh. and see what we get. Do it. Okay. Do you want to do feelings or sentence completion? Let's do sentence completion. Right. Obviously, you get a veto. Do 
thing I would change is, oh, I change lots of things. Today, the biggest thing I would change, because I had a hospital appointment this morning, okay. would be the buildings and the physical environment of hospitals and the mm. lack of people skills. I walked in this morning, not one person smiled, not one person looked up. The toilets had no toilet paper, the painting. So I, if I could truly change it, I would make the world and society more trauma-informed. Mm, and, and I would love to talk about that in a second. Um, I'll do some more cards. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, a previous episode with a, a doctor and we talked, yeah. We, yeah, we talked about the way in which, from her point of view, the selection training process yeah. for doctors specifically, that's what we're talking mm. about, it, it's so much around knowledge retention Completely. and and revision yeah. that you kind of end up entering the profession without either yeah. weaning out people with, with those kind of yeah. skills or kind of forgetting or not, not connecting Completely. with them. Completely. It's, it's so... Um it felt it, it's it's lost its human touch and its connection and I've got a quote at the moment that I keep, keep saying which is every interaction is an intervention and just the difference of someone looking up this morning and smiling would have made my absolute or you know asking to take your blood pressure and just be like take your jacket off as opposed yeah. to please or yeah. you know so yeah so professionally that's something personally the thing I change at the moment is to have a bit more time at home. I'm spending a lot of time in hotels. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like hotels. When I was younger, they had the glamour. Yes. <laughs> and actually, yeah, they're not. They're not a home. No, it's not too much fun. No. What about you? What's one thing you would change? Um. So, well, I was in a a setting today, and they are very stressed and reactive. Mm. And I really, I really wish that I could find them some time. Mm. And we're kind of working on it, but uh, yeah, I wish I could find them some time. Completely, so um, important. Just, uh, you know, we've all been there when we're rushing around. Oh yeah. And you just, you know, your your arousal levels are so high, mm. and you're just not thinking. And Completely. you know, I'm analyzing me in the morning. I'm rushing to leave the house, yeah. and I'm forgetting things, and and. Yeah. and their work their working day is quite a lot like that completely yeah um yeah so that bring some calm and some thinking space yeah. would be nice yeah mm. so important it if is. we're in our survival brain very hard to think and be able to do all of those self-care stuff but also support the people around us so, that's yeah. it yeah. yeah i had a, a lovely description of containment in terms of a cup and how full mm. up it is this was in yeah. uh, my training and what the reason I liked it as, as a metaphor is the idea that you know if your cup is really full up you mm. don't have the room to contain someone else completely I always say yeah. that if you keep pouring your cup into someone else's something or someone has to fill you up because yeah. otherwise what do you have to give to the people you work with mm. so it's that how do you give people what's best of you not what's left of you, you know? Oof, you're dropping quotes oh, left right and centre I know they're just they're just they just roll off the top what's best of you not what's left of you <laughs> yeah that's strong mm. alright I could choose it because you're drinking you no that's alright uh, this one it's quite fun I miss that's quite a, a emotive I find myself quite moved by just the illustration. It's the, this yeah, heart I, with hands missing. And I did really 
come up with this image to represent grief, although obviously it could be anything, um, but particularly children in care, obviously. Um, I miss my sister, who's currently living in South Africa. So, yeah, and my two little nephews, mm. so I'd say I miss her. Um, Do you know when you might see them again? Um, probably in June, when they're back here, so quite a while, but, yeah. I'd also say, actually, I'm, I miss my creativity because I've been so busy recently that usually I do loads of art and crafts and mm. painting and mosaic, and I haven't done that for a couple of months now. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited to have some of that back, hopefully, in the yeah. next couple of months. Yeah. My partner and I, it was her idea, actually, but we have a, a check-in uh, daily and weekly mm. so well we, we came up with some checking questions yeah. uh, that we say before bed just kind of I suppose how we approach the day yeah. but the weekly check-in is uh, kind of the things that are important to us mm. and we just tick well, that's nice and so obviously it's it's not meant to be punitive no, yeah. but it's kind of just you yeah. know sometimes you can glance at it and go huh okay I didn't do much boxing this week maybe yeah. next week I might absolutely yeah. it's like that that just well checking in but also commitment to self isn't it which is such a yeah, it's a nice thing you guys do mm. Mm. yeah so art and crafts would be on yours arts and crafts would definitely be on mine um sleep would be on mine <laughs> yeah sleep, sleep would be on mine <laughs> I would say booking holidays but I just booked four holidays oh, so wow. I did that one yesterday um yeah, those are the biggest ones. I'd like to spend more time with some people in my life who I haven't been able to see for a while, particularly. Yeah, so, um, yeah. But apart from that, I feel like I'm... Where are you going on holiday? Oh, I'm going... Well, I've got a tour through Australia and New Zealand, uh, which Does is a book count? tour. If well, it's a book tour. I'm going... Um, travelling for three weeks before. Um, I also am going to northern Pakistan for oh, a holiday. Okay. I'm also going to Guinea-Bissau and Senegal in West Africa for a holiday um, and lots of little mini trips and also looking at going to Orissa in India. So, yeah, last year I managed to get away for four months of the year. So I work super hard, but I take very long trips as well, which is my sort of self-care bit. So, yeah, it seems like a nice balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Travelling is, is my absolute best. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I feel like there's a nice range there. I, it took me a while. I was trying. I mean, my geography is terrible, but I was trying to um, imagine the northern border of Pakistan and where that is. What yeah. does it connect onto? Well, I suppose it's more. It's it will be going more to the northern side as opposed to the border, if that makes right, sense. Okay. Yeah. So it's not. Um, it's not like the south and north divide, but it's more the sort of mountainous tribal parts. So I'm really into uh, visiting different tribes and different indigenous people, and that's in the northern Pakistan is where some of the most indigenous tribes are. And is that, uh, what interests you about that? Oh, so many things. Um, so I'm really interested in, well, firstly, just different cultures, different traditions, different rituals. I'm very interested in different ways of making sense of life, so sort of spirituality. I've just spent the whole, this year I went to Ghana, Togo, Benin, uh, Burkina Faso and the coast, Ivory Coast to learn about voodoo and voodoo practices. So I think I've just always had a fascination in how people make sense of things and celebrate things. Um, but also I'm very into costumes. Um, I love music and rhythm, different arts and crafts. But I also think there's something about going back 
to a place that feels like it's like a hundred plus years ago and that simplicity, that connection to nature, um, that human relationship. Mm. So yeah, some of my best moments in my life have been spent with various different people and, and just yeah, really noticing what, what makes them sparkle, what makes them tick and mm. yeah. I've just been reading about uh, Maslow. It's oh, a kind of yes. a biography, and I didn't know much about Maslow at all, actually. Um, but Scott Barry Kaufman of the Psychology Podcast put, oh, me, yeah. put me onto Maslow. And reading back kind of over his thinking and, and, mm-hmm. and work, actually, there, so much of the kind of insight into society that he got was yeah. with kind of cross cultural experiences. So much so. Um, and it it's I suppose I'm just thinking about me it's quite nice to put yourself into a different context see how you react and then you kind of join the dots as it were absolutely it's that anthropological perspective and it's just yeah I love it I love there's no phones there's no TVs there's no makeup and hair and it just it feels really like raw and true and connected and um, Mm. yeah I love it I feel like I can just yeah, be whoever I want to be and just embrace people I me and mm. yeah, I, I absolutely yeah, absolutely love it. Brilliant. Mm. Okay. Let's do one more. Alright. I mean these are shows how good they are with you know, talking about cross culture that, experiences. That, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I think about doing these? <laughs> oh, and I feel like I've almost just answered this one. I I'm happiest and feel good when I'm in Africa. Mm. Hands down. Um, when I'm in Africa when I do art when I'm with my friends and family Um, yeah that is by far when I am at my happiest Um, and professionally obviously when you have a sparkle moment with someone you work with or an organisation but also some of the amazing feedback like you telling me how you found the cards or someone at training I just think that's so nice when you put so much time and effort for someone to share and, and say how, how they've found it useful or how they've mm-hmm. used that in their work it feels like a real privilege to be part of that yeah what, what's a sparkle moment I suppose I think of it of just one of those moments that just lights you up, makes you feel warm inside, makes you feel proud, one that you want a memory bank and hold on to. And whether that is a child who has never looked at you in the eye, looking at you in the eye for 10 seconds, or whether that's someone having a light bulb moment and something really clicking, or whether that's having an amazing meeting of minds with someone or just something where you're like, oh, that just, it's like a celebration. It's like fireworks going off. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Yeah, that's a cool one. You, I mean, you, you've mentioned so many things that I'd love to chat to you about, but I think the one that has come up a, a few times mm. and I, I think could be quite interesting is you talked about making organisations more trauma-aware. Yeah. So I suppose I'd, I'd like to know what you mean by that yeah. and, then, and then also maybe to talk about that for a bit. Yeah. So, well, it's a hard thing to explain um, in a short time because it's really multifaceted and multi-pronged. But in essence, it's about how do you take an organisation, and I'm talking about being trauma-informed and trauma-responsive rather than trauma-aware, which is different. Um, But how do you look at all of those different levels from the language, the physical environment, how you do recruitment from the materials that are used to um, 
the assessment tools that are used to um, how team meetings are run, how supervision, mm. and how do you look at them through a trauma lens, but also how do you bring those ideas about adversity and trauma, hope and resilience into those. So, a cla- and it's very much from a social justice lens, so it comes with that cultural humility and that cultural responsiveness, but it would be things like, okay, so we all talk about when we're working with kids, we want to help them to feel safe, for example, but we also talk about not just feeling safe, but believing you're safe, having it at visceral level, but that's physically safe, that's relationally safe, that's morally safe, that's culturally safe. That's so important. But what are we also doing as an organisation that the people who enter the building, that the people who work there, that the people who access the services, that the leaders are secure-based leaders, Mm -hmm. that people feel safe enough in a team meeting to say, actually, I don't agree with this, or Mm -hmm. actually, I feel that people are being racist towards me, Mm -hmm. or... And so it's looking at how do you take the concepts that we would do, but how do you really look at them at an organisational level? And it's about how do you make organisations more relationship-based? How do you humanise them? How do you take something like a school, for example? I say that you being an editor type. How do you take a school and really not just tailor it for the one or two children we know who have experienced trauma and are presenting particular behaviours? How do we make it a more compassionate empathetic, supportive place for everyone, Mm. including the parents, including the teachers, including the kids. How do we look at everything from how do we structure playtime? How do we do transitions? How do we actually look at who we're recruiting? What qualities those teachers need to have? Um, How are those team meetings done? How are they supervised? Um, What letters do we send home when there's been a problem? And how can we cater that? Uh, What triggers might there be? You know, all of those different elements. So it's taking a trauma lens, but much more at a structural organizational level. and it's it's quite a strategic slow journey but it just makes such big changes um so yeah that's that's in a nutshell no i love that i think yeah. so my my training as an edsite was through the lens of Bronfen Brenner's ecological model so i suppose yeah. i that that so yeah. i had i had my um it wouldn't be a spark moment it was a light bulb moment yeah. um with the ego and the super ego when i was yeah. 16 and another one was when I saw that model and I was yeah. like, yeah, that for me really, really just is truth. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's why I studied at the yeah. IOE. It was just like, this is, this is the way. Um, so it's really cool to hear you talking like yeah. that. And actually, like, it's so interesting how I think people on an intuitive level, They, you know, they, they, they feel the dynamics of the, mm. the, the organisation they're in. I'm, I'm just thinking about a particular school um, and a case where I thought it would be useful to use the resilience framework to yeah. kind of think about the processes around mm. this child. And halfway through the meeting, I'm there with, you know, a couple of senior, senior leaders, teachers. Halfway through the meeting, they were like, what about us? Yeah. Talk about all it. What about us? And it's so true that you know, to use your to use your phrase mm. about giving the best of yourself, not what's left of yourself. Yeah. They were like, "We need processes around us that encourage well-being." Yeah. Well, even you know, 
if we're not giving people lunch breaks, if we're not giving people breaks, if if you walk into an office, as I often used to do in local authorities, and no one looks up and says hello, or someone asks you how you are, but no one actually does that presence, mm. or um, or you've gone and been involved in the removal of a child, which is one of the worst things and emotional things you can be involved in and then expected to go on to the next meeting, that's when organisations become traumatised mm. and are in toxic stress and are hyper-aroused and are in survival mode. And so what we need to do, like what you do with kids, is you try and support them to be in their thinking brain and to feel safe and more secure. So therefore we have to model the model and do mm. that at an organisational structural level. And mm. I think the more you do that, I think you just start to see such like systemic community-based changes which is just so exciting and mm. benefits everyone it's like we're trying to make the world you know wheelchair accessible and friendly we've got a long way to go but we're trying but I think with trauma and adversity it's actually far more common and prevalent mm. yet we haven't moved with what can we do to increase safety and decrease danger and just generally all of us would benefit from a place that's more mm. empathetic, more aware, more compassionate. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it really resonates. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but I suppose I feel like, especially in English society, there are yeah. kind of uh, prevalent coping mechanisms yeah. which are kind of counter to yes. talking about or acknowledging. And so, you know, it's, it's no wonder we find ourselves in a place where yeah. You know, we have systems which are kind of not yeah. trauma-informed. Completely. Uh, avoidance and brushing things under the carpet. There's, like, dissociation, mm-hmm. conspiracy of silence. But also, you know, we're, we're in a pretty hostile, limbo political climate at the moment. And then what does that do to people's uncertainty, people's sense of safety, mm-hmm. identity? And, you know... It makes such a difference. Like, even when you walk into a shop, the difference of how that person in the shop responds to you. And and then we're thinking about prisons and schools and hospitals. Um, so to not think at an organisational level, to me, is, is just doesn't, doesn't respect and honour what we're actually trying to do. And it's so reactive, which is the survival bit. It's like, how can we be more preventative and more proactive and... And not wait for a crisis, you know? No, I love that. Yeah. I think you just reminded me of my childhood. So I I grew up in Hackney and it it on the streets at that time mm. felt very uh, macho. Yeah. And so, you know, I have a hackney face, mm. I put it on, and that face is don't talk to me. Yeah. You don't wanna try it and, and talk to me. Yeah. And and as a result, the, the streets feel tense. Completely. And probably, I don't know how old it was, but maybe 17 mm. or something. I just decided, I'm just going to, when I'm on my street, specifically my street, I'm just going to smile at people yeah. and nod. And then you start getting it back. Absolutely. And then it's the same street and it's yeah. the same people. Yeah. But I felt so much happier and so much safer. Completely. And I was doing exactly the same journey in in the same circumstances, you know. Yeah, you're just putting a different lens on and putting something. But we we know. But I was also creating. Exactly. Like it was was exactly as you say. It was it was an intervention in the sense that you know the smile the smile is a domino effect. Completely. And like we know, emotions are contagious. So if you're putting positivity and things out there, you know that's going to have a ripple effect. So Mm. I think it's yeah. I think it's so 
powerful and I think it's another key thing about trauma-informed practice is that we're taking a commitment to not re-traumatise people or to add to the harm. And I think, sadly, unintentionally, a lot of our organisations make things worse and re-traumatise people, uh, whether that's through things like seclusion or exclusion, whether that's the language and the labels that we use, whether that's, you know telling someone that if they're five minutes late for an appointment and they've travelled on three buses to get there that you have to turn away. You know, so a big commitment of the trauma-informed organisation is, is really thinking about what can we also do to not add harm and to reduce that. Yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah, that, that's really... I mean, there's loads to think about there. Yeah. But, but you're so right, it's uh, it's really important. And it, it... So I feel like at the moment... So I had a conversation this morning about yeah. a similar, similar kind of thing, but I'd love to know your your thoughts. It it seems like at the moment we are aware enough of mental health, yeah. just enough that it started to become a bit commodified. So I'm seeing organisations that, uh, for example, are providing mental health coaches. Yeah. Um, and I feel... You know, I feel a little uncomfortable about that because I, I, you know, mm. I've, looked at, I've looked at websites and I'm, I'm seeing stuff like, okay, um, we are not therapeutic mm. professionals and we recognise you aren't trained mm. in that way. You are mental health coaches. Mm. And then you look at the little bit of a kind of detective work. And, and so, you know, on the flip side, if you are applying, you're, you know, you're told you may have to work uh, you know, with four back-to-back appointments mm. and with people who have um, you know, suicidal thoughts yeah. or eating disorders. And I'm just, I kind of, that made me feel a bit sad or uncomfortable um, because I feel like, yeah, maybe we're at a point where there's enough awareness that people are starting to kind of yeah. um, create more harm. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm thinking about the quadrant in terms of... Uh, competence mm. and I feel like there's in that scenario maybe some unconscious incompetence going on yeah. I think you know absolutely you can have awareness and that's crucial but then it's that moving from like knowing to doing isn't it and it's actually people need to have not only the skills to know what to do with that or how to respond to that but also have the self-care stuff because if you're putting people in that position my worry is always what we do to support those people mm. both to feel confident and secure but also inevitably working with people who are feeling lots of big emotions is going to have an impact on you so are you then putting the structures in place and if and do people know what their limitations are and if they are where to signpost to or where to go so I think you know, I'm all for, hence writing my books, getting knowledge and awareness out there. But absolutely, I think we have to be very careful about the balance of, of how, if we are setting up a scheme like that, how are you then putting the other structures in mm. to support it? Um, yeah, totally. And if someone does, for example, make a disclosure or, um, you know, that's great that we're in a place to support that. But, you know, how confident does someone feel to respond to that? Do they know what to do? Do they know where to go? Mm. I think there's a lot more. Awareness is brilliant, but you need to do the next step as well, mm. you know. And I think that's one of the big differences from being uh, trauma aware all the way through to trauma uh, informed and trauma responsive it's like okay what actually are we doing not just in terms of attitudes and practices but how are you changing your policies your mm. procedures so in a school you'd be looking at 
your recruitment policy, your behaviour and management policy, your um, how you communicate with staff, the who, all of that stuff. Like, how are you really taking the knowledge, but then actually putting it into tangible actions and changes? And I think that's sometimes the the, the bit that gets missed that we're raising lots of awareness, but it's okay. Now we have the awareness. Now what? Yeah. And that there's no tick box, you know, you can go on a mental health awareness course and that might be fantastic, but it's just holding in mind that everyone is a unique individual and it's going to show differently and that there's all those intersections of identities and, you know, being so mindful that if, if someone's given a particular checklist, for example, what happens if, if that checklist doesn't apply or isn't mm-hmm. there? How are we supporting people to sort of be aware and be mindful of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important and powerful, powerful perspective yeah. to keep in mind. I feel like we've had almost our time, actually. Yeah. Um, so I suppose I... I'm really curious whether you have any ideas for books in the future. Oh. <laughs> or maybe you can't uh, say. Maybe no, it's no, I can, I'm an open book. Um, well, it's, it's an interesting one in terms of um, I'm going to have quite a break because I feel I've just done five in one year. You, well, like, yeah. When I used the word <laughs> prolific, you were like, oh, no. <laughs> so five yeah. in one year was probably a little bit excessive. Yeah. Um, So my next plan is I've got a couple of new sets of cards that I'm going to be working Mm on. Um, So that's really exciting. Um, I hope to do a book around trauma-informed organisations, but probably not starting that till next year. Um, And in terms of any more children's books, I guess... I don't have any strong ones in my mind, but I'm actually really open to hearing from people. So mm. I think when I'm in that place, I'd, I'd really love people to give me um, yeah, ideas, advice, what they think they'd find helpful. And then obviously feeling, am I the right person to do that? So quite a few people have said to me, we'd really like one on divorce, um, but that's not one of my areas of specialty. So I don't think I'd be the best person to mm. do that. So it's sort of getting recommendations, but then also thinking, what I do I... pass that one on. Yeah, exactly. Which one do I feel I can bring something unique to? But the cards for now, um, I've still got... So out of the children's books, there's still three more coming out this year. So one in April, one in May, one in September. (laughs) Um, So there'll be lots of sort of talking about those. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow, so what are they on? Um... Cleo the Croc is about um, children who struggle to trust in relationships following abuse so it's very much about children with attachment related difficulties Presley the Pug is generally about mindfulness, relaxation helping children who struggle to regulate their emotions and and teaching them about identifying emotions and then the last one's Binny the Baboon which is about anxiety, stress and worries Um, yeah so those are those three I'm also working on loads you've probably seen on my website I've got loads of free resources like loads of worksheets crib sheets Mm. infographics I've got a list of over 50 that I want to do over the next few months of the ones that people have requested from self-care infographics to trauma-informed supervision to uh, safety so every time I've got a spare moment I'm going to try and get those out and just distribute them Mm. for free to people really yeah. yeah, and obviously, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about how people can find you in a yeah. second. I really, though, want to know when you're when you're designing cards or thinking about that. Yeah. Do you have a process you go through? I'm just thinking. You talked about your artistic, yes, you know, real. I don't know what would I call it like. 
passion. Yeah. Um, and so, does that kind of feature, or is it a bit more structured? No, What's the vibe? No, it's very creative. I think. Um, so lots of it, all of it's based on clinical experience. So I always think what did I use the most what what questions did I ask the most what did parents and kids feedback to me so often I'll go and think about that quite a lot and, and sometimes I've gone and done focus groups or those sorts of things um, so all of it's based on you know and I talk to a lot of my therapist friends what would be helpful to you but then I generally have like a vision of a creative image so like for Neon the Ninja, I knew I wanted him to be rainbow. I knew I wanted him to be really bright and colourful. I had sort of the Elvis inspiration in my mind. I wanted him to have a superhero vibe. So I start to get these, what I do is I end up doing like Pinterest boards, vision boards, collages. I get sketches. I usually end up with about 50 paper all over the place. And, um, and so I do lots of those sorts of ideas until it comes together. Um, and it comes in zones, so sometimes I'll have nothing coming to me for weeks and then I'll have a day where just, and I'll sort of it. get loads of stuff out. So, um, mm. yeah, um, but it, and it's, it's very, I bring a huge amount of my personality into it. And I think, you know, like if you take Binny the Baboon as an example, my mum's name's Binny, um, all the characters are members of my family, my okay. best friends. Um, one of them is Rafi the Rhino, who sadly is one of my friends who died this year. So it's a real honour to him. And yeah. he was a phenomenal human. And so his horn is rainbow because he just reminded me of laughter. So yeah. each one um, has real different sort of personal mm. flavour and vibes. So, yeah. 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 Well, that's really lovely. You can bring mm. not only your personal clinical experience, but bits of... It's so nice. of your life you kind of weave it in it's so nice although everyone wants to be a character so that's why I need to well, do yeah, more books it. yeah you need to keep producing <laughs> I know people feel very left out and there's competition yeah, I, I got two lines I'm a main character <laughs> I'm so uh, yeah I almost need to do more just to, wow. just, just to fill everyone's requests <laughs> yeah was so so good to talk to Karen and she was one of the guests who I was really excited about approaching, actually, because I really admire her practice and she really inspires me as a psychologist. So it was really cool to be able to talk to her. Please do look her up. I'll put her details in the show notes. I can't wait to hear what you think. So let me know on Twitter, either on my personal one or on the Sizzle account. And please do share this episode with anyone who you think might be interested in our discussion, um, educators, psychologists, charities, and we'll keep this movement going. All right, speak to you next time.